0: We are continuing our journey in this uh, class on biblical sexuality. We've been walking through the book of Song of Songs, kind of using that as our home base and kind of taking it section by section. And then we uh, just have some natural segues in each section to different topics on biblical sexuality that just relate to our everyday life. We've talked about the three lies. Our culture tells about sex, we've talked about body image, and last week we talked about expressive individualism and and some of the roots of that and and some of the ways it shows itself and and kind of undergirds a lot of the the issues with sexuality in our culture. Uh, Today, uh, we're going to talk about singleness uh, in relation to uh, the section of Song of Songs we're in. So we've gone through verses 1 through 14 of chapter 1 of Song of Songs. There we saw the woman kind of express, she kind of jumps right in and expresses her um, longings for her groom, uh, but also some of her insecurities. And then he affirms uh, just his attraction and his love of her in all kinds of ways. Um, And then it ends sort of with the woman longing to be with him again. And, And then it kind of makes this expression at the end of verse 14 of their relationship being like Engetty. Getty. Uh, yes, I do need that, Rob, if you could bring that up here. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing I wanted to say is that Song of Songs, you'll notice as we go out, for the most part, it shows this couple at their best, not at their worst. There is one moment where we'll see them getting a little bit of tension. Um, and so for some of you, maybe who are married, um, their relationship may seem a little too perfect. And um, I think that's actually part of the point. I think the Holy Spirit is presenting us sort of the perfect couple, if you will, um, to help us see what love can and should look like uh, between a husband and a wife. Um, and, and so Phil Reichen, he says it's, it's in one way, the Song of Songs, the relationship picture there is, think of it kind of like the picture on the box of a jigsaw puzzle. Um, so the, the, the picture is what you look to to kind of design, kind of and, and help build your puzzle. And so, you know, all of our human relationships are kind of like the puzzle that's not finished yet and, and still growing. Uh, but this is a picture of of what to you know strive for. Uh, then we looked last week at verse one fifteen through two seven, and things start heating up between the two. They get more and more. Um, intimate towards each other but then it ends in, in two verse seven do not stir up love till it awakens um, and that idea just really flies in the face of how our culture thinks about sexuality uh, but we'll see today that it, that doesn't even though she says that that doesn't mean her desire for him has cooled uh, the question remains when will that time come um, and the groom in this passage today seems to believe that that time has come and he comes to her um, and starts making his case uh, for them to start consummating their Relationship into marriage. So we're starting uh, in chapter two, verse eight. The voice of my beloved, uh, the the uh, bride says, "Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag." Uh, it's almost like a movie scene. Movie scene here. Um, you think of like a scene where two. People in love have been maybe apart from each other, and now they finally see each other, and they're running towards each other. Um, and, and in her mind, there's almost there's no flaws in, in him at this point. It's almost like he's Superman jumping over these mountains. Um, he's like a gazelle, a graceful uh, and beautiful animal. Um, then, it's, then she says, behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. So it's kind of almost anticlimactic. There's this build of him coming. She's excited, but then it's kind of anticlimactic where he doesn't come into the house that she's in. He stands outside. It's kind of a Romeo and Juliet moment where he's outside and they're, they're kind of talking to each other through the window, um, and he can't come in. But the groom obviously has something important to say. He's kind of leapt over these mountains to get to her. And so then the groom uh, speaks to her. My beloved speaks and says to me, and this is him now, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So he's invoking the beauty of, uh, he's kind of looking around and seeing that it's now springtime um, around them. And he's kind of summoning all his poetic powers uh, as a compelling reason to win this woman's heart and and to show her that this relationship should now become a marriage. If you haven't been with us, we've talked about how at the beginning part of Song of Songs, they are engaged. They're not married yet. And so he's saying the time for love has awoken. It is time for us to... Um, to get married and that phrase come away with me uh, could could easily be portrayed as his proposal to her um, so but then he uh, continues oh my dove in the clefts of the rock in the crannies of the cliff let me see your face let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and you're lovely and your face is lovely so the dove there is an image of beauty But notice it's a dove. Where is this dove? It's in the clefts of the rock. It's in the crannies of uh, the cliff. So think of like a cliff face with some holes in it. Um, The doves would often be up in those holes. Why would they be there? It's it's a protective place. It's a safe place for them. Uh, It's inaccessible. And so there's this image of inaccessibility here. Um, He's gazing up at her in the window and longing to be with her uh, fully and, and to embrace her. And I think at this moment, so we've talked about how there's a natural reading of Song of Songs where it informs our relationship, but there's also a spiritual reading of Song of Songs where it, it teaches us more about what it means to be the bride of Christ and to be in that kind of relationship with, with Christ. Um, so I, I'd just be curious if any of you had any comments or thoughts on how might just... What has transpired so far in, in today's passage give us insight into what our relationship with Christ is like and how Christ views us. Anyone want to share any thoughts? Just from this particular piece, um, it kind
1: of reminds me of like the shadow under his wings, or, you know, hiding under his wings versus
0: hiding in the cluster of the rock. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any other thoughts? Do you think about how the the man moves towards the bride here? Yeah. How do you see that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, her being in the cleft of the rock is him kind of voicing that he can't get to her fully yet in this moment. Um, and I think, you know, one way it's kind of pointing to our relationship with Christ is just to see that he loves us with this kind of love. He, the, you think of the man kind of leaping over these mountains to get to her. Just his, his excitement to be with her, his excitement to pursue her, um, in some ways as a picture of the, the joy um, and the longing for Christ to, to move towards us. I think of the hymn where it says, um, From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. And I think even that line, we we see some of that imaged here in the way the man is pursuing her, and that, that is similar to how Christ has pursued us. All right, so continuing on, she responds now in sort of a surprising way. So this is her now talking. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So she's first of all, she's affirming their commitment to each other. Uh, this vineyard that's in blossom, their love is in blossom. Um, it's it's time for love to, to happen, but um, you know that's not all that that needs. It's, it's almost a sense of of them having gone through puberty and they're ready to to be in this kind of relationship. Is, is somewhat that what that's referring to is the vineyard being in blossom? They are ready to physically to be married. Um, but it's not just, you know, making it through puberty that makes you ready for marriage. There's more things that need to happen. And the woman knows that they are as vulnerable right now as a ripe grape is in a vineyard to a fox that might go through the vineyard. Um, and so as their romance ripens, there is need for continued caution. That's, that's what's going on in this point. Um, so catching the foxes in the vineyard... Is um, this sense that their love, especially their sexuality, needs to be protected like a prized vineyard? It takes patience to cultivate tender blossoms of a grapevine. It also does the same for, for cultivating romance to become a love that will last. Um, so, that's, as that kind of makes sense, this is, this is her saying, okay, well, um, there's a lot of infatuation here, but we still need to be careful. Uh, there's still ways that, that we need to have caution as we come closer and closer to our marriage and also the verb for catch the foxes is in the plural there's this sense of like the community coming together to catch these foxes and so I think implied in there is that they need help from their family they need help from their spiritual community to um, just protect their relationship and there's this huge implication that you know any human Spousal relationship is, is, is not in a vacuum. It's in a community, and, and it takes a community to, to build a marriage as well. All right, and so she continues, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breeze and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on a cleft mountains. And so there's this sort of, it's, it's, it's moving forward here. Um, she's, she's expressing her love for him. He grazes among the lilies. That's, that's kind of talking about um, them starting to be more physically intimate. But uh, she says, Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved. And that word turn there means turn away. Go back to the mountain where you just came from. That's basically her saying, okay, it's still not time yet. It's still not time yet. But then we see that it's easier said than done, because as chapter 3 starts... She starts dreaming of him. As, as he's absent, physically absent, she starts dreaming about him. She's, she's still longing for him. So on my bed by night, and the, the Hebrew there is actually night by night. There's this continual action. Uh, she's, doing, she's having these dreams continually. I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought, and that word sought probably is a continual seeking of him. But found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. So as she had sent him away, there's maybe a sense in which she's kind of worrying if she, if he'll come back. We don't know exactly, but there's definitely this longing to be with him again. And she even leaves the safety of her home to go seek and find him. Um, you know, remember this is a dream. Uh, And so what do dreams do? One of the things dreams show us is what we're hoping for or longing for. And so there's still this strong urge. But she leaves her safety of her home. It was very unsafe for for a woman in that day to to walk about the city at night. And then it says, uh, the watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? And so watchmen were typical in a setting like that, in a city at night. Um, But they were not able to help her find him. And I think uh, many believe there's, as you see this woman kind of wrestling with uh, the longing to, to find him again, uh, you can kind of see this metaphor for the difficulties in finding a good, long-lasting relationship. Uh, even think about today in our world. Um, it, can, it can be a long journey for some. some. Some of you maybe were high school sweethearts, and it just kind of from day one, it, it went um, your, your journey to, to finding True love, if you will, was, was pretty smooth. But for many, it, it can be a long road full of bad breakups, long seasons of singleness, uh, taking a long time to cultivate a relationship to the point of marriage. Uh, the search for a lifelong spouse can be hard work that takes risk and, and persistence that we're seeing in this woman here. And, and this is sort of a struggle in their relationship. And our relationship with God is similar. It takes work, it takes intentionality to cultivate a deeper relationship with the Lord. But then her her searching finally pays off in verse 4. Scarcely had I passed them when I found him. She finally finds him, whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go, of course. She finally found him. Until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. So she finds him and she holds him now, brings to her mother's house. This is where she would have been living. Um, And... uh, the, the bringing her to her mother's house has this sense of getting family approval. I think it's, uh, many of you have probably ex- experienced the blessings, especially if you come from a godly family, of, you know, having gotten your family behind your relationship. Um, and so there's, again, we see this communal nature of marriage and, and it being in a context, a, a bigger context. But then she wants to go into the chamber. So so this is her, like at the beginning, we saw this in chapter 1 of, of her longing, expressing her longing again to be with him physically. But they can't yet. And so verse 5, she repeats the same uh, encouragement and exhortation to the daughters of Jerusalem. I adjure you by the gazelles or does of the field that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Um, and so there's so many directions we could go at this point as we've kind of looked at these ne- this next section. Um, and last week, we talked about expressive individualism and how uh, this whole idea of not stirring up love until it wakens is just so counter to how uh, our, our society thinks about love and, and sexuality. Today, I want to talk about singleness. Uh, I think that today's passage, there's, there's ways in which it naturally lends to a discussion of singleness, because uh, it, it's, it's helpful and it's important to talk about marriages and um, cultivating you know, good marriages, but also Reality is, is of singleness um, in our midst and in the church, um, and the Bible even speaks to that. And, um, you know, the singleness is not talked about a ton in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it's, it's definitely talked about. I mean, even the fact that Jesus and Paul were both um, single uh, says a lot uh, and yet held up as, as models for us. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, he holds singleness, singleness in very high regard, and, and Jesus does as well. In Matthew 19, he talks about singleness um, and really affirms it. So it was very countercultural in that day uh, to, to elevate singleness to, to basically equally as important and good as marriage. Um, that was countercultural then, and it still is today. Um, even in the church, sometimes the church can uh, treat singleness as sort of being a JV Christian, I think, where you haven't fully arrived in your relationship with Christ and in, you know, your relationship to the church until you're married and have kids. Um, and the Bible could not be more um, you know, in disagreement with that thought. The, the Bible, and I, I would love to take the time to walk through 1 Corinthians 7 um, and share some of the, the passages there um, I think I'll just share this one. Uh, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. And Paul's talking about him being single. Um, he says, but each has his own gift from God. And he, right there, he's talking about singleness as a gift. Um, and it's not, some think that that means, you know, the gift of celibacy, which is actually a biblical thought um, in Matthew 19. But Paul is there just more talking in general about, If you're in a season of singleness, we are to view that as a gift from God. God has put us in that season of life for a reason, um, and there's ways that that can be a blessing. Um, And I would love to take the time to walk through all these other passages in 1 Corinthians 7, but I do not have the time this morning, and I want to get to um, sort of a a more extended discussion on singleness that I have from this book, uh, Singleness Living Faithfully by Jenny Lynn Sweat. Jenny Lynn is uh, uh, in St. Louis. She's adult ministries director at a church there. And um, she wrote this devotional. It's 31 entries, you know, covering 31 different topics uh, related to, to faithful singleness. It's gotten great reviews. Um, there's lots of good books on singleness, but this is one of my more favorites. And I'm kind of biased, as you'll see in a minute. Um, but it's she talks about sort of foundations for singleness, she talks about cultivating relationships in singleness. She talks about lament in singleness and then growing in maturity. And um, Jenny Lynn is someone that I actually worked with in St. Louis when I was an intern uh, during seminary. And so I reached out to her and she was willing to do an interview with me. And so I'm going to, we're going to take the rest of our time, Rob, if you could cue that up um, and listen to a discussion I had earlier this week with Jenny Lynn where I asked her some questions about singleness, um, and um, hopefully that is is a helpful discussion for us. Yep. All right, Redeemer, I'm here now with Jenny Lynn Sweat. She is the Adult Ministries Director at Restoration Community Church in St. Louis. Uh, I had the honor of being on staff with her when i was in st louis a number of years ago i was an intern um, on the same staff as her and so consider jenny lynn a friend she's also even been kind of a coach to me over the years Mm -hmm. and as i've done adult ministry and just learned a lot of things from her and and things she's done um she's also just been a model of of faithfulness and of contentment in her life and so it is very special for me to be able to have jenny lynn um, speak with you all on this and get to have this conversation. So Jenny Lynn, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with our church.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I only wish we could do this in person. I know. It's
0: great I know. To
1: be here.
0: Yes. Maybe someday. All right. So I kind of want to just dive right in. I, I gave a little bit, I'll be giving a little bit of intro to our church about you um, before this. So I'm just going to kind of dive right into the questions, but Um. In your introduction in the book, you you mention a story of talking with your pastor. And, uh, you know, what your pastor says to you, you were you struggling in a moment of your singleness there. And, and what he says to you could maybe come across as a little insensitive, but I know that it, it came out of a context of a lot of relational capital between y'all. And, and he had kind of earned the right to kind of push into you in this moment. So he. You were, at, you were kind of in a moment of struggling in your singleness, and he says, do you think Paul might have had a point? And, of course, you were like, he had lots of points. What do you mean? And so he was talking about Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 7, talking about singleness, where Paul really, um, really raises up singleness to a very high level, and, and it uh, shows just how important and um, how meaningful uh, singleness can be. And so I just want to start off by asking you, what are some ways you've experienced singleness uh, as a blessing in your life?
1: Yeah, um, well, that was Andrew. If you, I don't know if you picked up on that, but it was Andrew Vandermas, our, our former pastor, who asked me that question. Um, and I think one of the things that has been a real blessing for me in singleness is um, I get to say yes to a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of things that I, um, have the, the ability and the capacity, um, to do because I am single and there isn't someone at home, um, depending on me, needing me, wanting me at home. Um, and so there are things that I can do relationally and in ministry that I can be flexible for available for, um, and that I can say yes to in a different way than my brothers and sisters who are married, where that. Puts a little bit more of um, a good kind of limitation on them, but um, a limitation nonetheless.
0: Cool.
1: I think another thing, and Sam Alberry actually talks about this in his book, Seven Myths of Singleness, uh, that in singleness, we often have the opportunity to have a wide breadth of relationships. Um, we may not have the same kind of depth of relationship that um, one would have with their spouse or with their children, but we get a great breadth of relationships. And I've really experienced that um, and just having friends all over the country, all over the world now um, who, uh, when we get to connect, whether it's in person or virtually like this, we can kind of pick up right where we left off. And that's been a real gift and a blessing um, in friendships. But also I think with um, the younger generation, there are a, a ton of kids and teenagers in my life who I love and have had the chance to know and invest in and build relationships with. And that's been a real gift and something that um, I would not have been able to do if I had kids of my own that I were pouring into.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's helpful. And that's great. I, I know on the other side, though, too, you know, knowing you personally, but also reading your book that there's obviously been challenges along the way and continue to be. Uh, So I'd love for you to just share a little bit about some of the the bigger challenges uh, that you experience in your singleness? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think all of those things I just named kind of have a flip side to them where um, there can be grief with it, where I would actually welcome the limitations of having someone waiting for me at home or depending on me at home. Uh, Where home can be a lonely place, um, where with the gift of many relationships, sometimes I don't feel like I am anyone's priority or like I have that go-to person in a moment of need or crisis or just ordinary, hey, I'm bored and I want someone to hang out with. (laughs) Um, I don't have those necessarily go-to people or those people who are go-to people for me have their own lives and responsibilities. Um, I thought it was tough when my peers were parenting infants. I'm realizing it's even more of a challenge when my peers are parenting teens, and their Friday nights are spent shuttling kids around, and that that impacts my life uh, in in certain ways too. So there are there are losses and, and a sense of loneliness, and and sometimes just not being not being um, not feeling seen or known by the people around me. That that can be a really hard place sometimes. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, that's that's well put. It, appreciate you sharing that. Um, you, you kind of, at the end of your introduction, you kind of map out where you're going to go in the book, and you, you mentioned that uh, 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 the first place to start in pursuing faithful singleness, which is what you're talking about, is having a solid understanding of our identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just, I'd love for you to speak to, you know, why, why is that a, such a solid starting place um, in this yes. discussion?
1: Yeah, I would actually say that our identity in Christ is a necessary starting place for any discussion of faithfulness in any area of the Christian life because we need to remember who we are and our identity in Christ as as sons and daughters of God, as younger siblings to Jesus, uh, that is the most important thing about us. It is the thing that will never change Either here on earth or into eternity. Um, That will always be who we are. And we need to be rooted in that identity. That's where we need to find our security because there is nothing else in this life in which we can find that security. And we're constantly looking for it. We're constantly longing for it. And we have it in Jesus. And I think that's why it's so important. I think secondarily, I think it's important for us. To start the conversation there because we can so easily kind of put ourselves in boxes or categories of, oh, that person is married, therefore they don't understand me, or therefore I can't understand them. Oh, I'm married and that person is single, I know nothing about their life, we have nothing in common. But our identity in Christ is what we share in common in the church. And so, to have a conversation like the one y'all are having in this class, we need to remember that we share that in common, no matter. What our marital status, our life stage, no matter our struggles, this is what we share in common in the
0: church. Yeah, absolutely, Um, and I I could so relate to to that. You know, you so quickly could find your your primary identity in your marriage and your parent, you know, parenting status, and Mm -hmm. yeah, that was a great place to start. Um, What are you know? We could talk a lot about this next question. What are some ways the church has struggled? Um, I know. You've probably experienced this personally. You've probably heard from others. What are ways you've seen the church struggle in its love and care of singles in their midst? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think over the years, the church, out of a good and right desire, has really emphasized marriage, not only in preaching and teaching, but also in programming. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something where, you know, if I walk into a church and all I hear about or see being promoted are activities for kids or for families or for married couples, Um, or if all of the women's events are happening uh, in the the morning during the week, um, that means that a woman who has to work full-time because she's single or married women who work full-time too can't go to that thing. Um, it's, it's hard to see where we fit. Um, I, I visited a church recently and, and looked around the room and could not identify other single people and was hearing the preaching and thinking, how, huh, are, are there single people in this congregation? Because if there are, they're not being preached to. There are not applications in the sermons that are relevant to them. There are not things acknowledging um, that not everyone here is married with kids. And so I think that is, I think, again, marriage is important for us to talk about. Marriage is important to the Lord. Parenting is important for us to talk about. We, you know, believe in covenant theology where we are all raising these kids together. So we need to talk about that. Um, But we also need to talk about friendship. We also need to talk about the struggles of being single um, or being single again. And these are things that um, that I think the church is is too often just not noticing, not paying attention to, um, or not not emphasizing quite enough um, for the for the sake of the people that might be in their pews or that might be in the community around them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, appreciate you saying that, and uh, I would also say I, I would also ask maybe on the flip side,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what are some ways that singles can sometimes struggle to move towards the church?
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, I would say a bit of a soapbox for me um, because I really push against a consumeristic mentality. And I think that's something that I have seen in a lot of single folks over the years of, if the church isn't going to meet my needs, I'm just going to opt right out rather than, than trying to make some efforts, maybe some sacrifices to build relationships, to let myself be known in the church to where Um, there would be an opportunity for me to offer my insights or my stage of life or um, the availability that I might have as a single person to the church. And so I think um, the first and foremost way that we can move towards the church is to show up and not only on Sunday mornings, but to show up in other spaces too, whether that's small groups or other church programming um, where where the more we're there, uh, the more we can, I think, help to, the more we can be known and be seen and maybe help to shape what's happening there. Um, I also think just building relationships and offering our gifts and our resources to the church is really important um, because we have gifts and resources to offer. And it's sometimes in offering those that we actually end up getting some of our needs met um, as we are known in the church.
0: Yeah. That's, that's super helpful. Um, I think, you know, for those who aren't single in our church or any church, um, what are some practical ways that they can love on singles in their midst?
1: I think simply talking to them, getting to know them, inviting them, um, whether it's out to a meal after church or over to your house for um, a movie night or, you know, I get invited occasionally to, you know, come sit on the sidelines of my kids' basketball game with me. Um, And and every single person is different. Um, And so I can't speak for all of them. I can't tell you that all of your single friends are going to want to come have a family movie night with you. But this single friend would want to come have a family movie night with you. Um, And so I think just building relationships and finding the things, building on the things that we do have in common and can share Um, just set an extra seat at your table, um, on any night of the week and, and see who you might be able to invite into that and, and share life, get to know them. Um, don't make assumptions about what they would want or who they are, um, but get to know them and learn those things about them as you build up, build that relationship and invite them to sit with you in church on Sunday morning. That's another really simple thing, but can be a really significant thing.
0: Oh, no, that's, that's great. That's helpful. Um, I'm sure we could talk, you know, plenty more about that. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. A great start. Definitely a great start. Um, I love that you had a section on lament in your book. Um, mm-hmm. something that I've personally been, you know, trying to learn more about, um, uh, personally and as a pastor. And, uh, we've, we've talked about it. Some, we, we went through Habakkuk uh, a while back and, um, And so it was encouraging to see just some of your reflections on that. And so I'm just curious, you know, as you think about lament and singleness, why is lament an important part of faithful singleness and what, what might that look like?
1: Yeah. So I think that, again, I think lament, as you said, is an important part of the Christian life. And I think it's something that can be especially important for us in singleness because, there is a lot of loss. There is a lot of disappointment and grief and loneliness and questions that we have in singleness. And, um, we we've talked a little bit, um, beforehand Ross about self-pity. And that's another thing that I look at in the book. And I think in some ways self-pity is, is the flip side of lament. Yeah. Um, self-pity is getting stuck in looking at our sorrows and getting stuck in um, feeling sad and feeling like no one cares about me. God doesn't see me, no one sees me. Lament on the other hand is taking that and turning towards the Lord and bringing that to him and talking to him about it and allowing him to comfort and care for us in the midst of the things that we would lament. Um, So in the questions that we have, in the sorrows that we feel, in the grief that we feel, bringing that before the Lord and not just getting stuck inside of ourselves with it, Um, bringing it before the Lord and bringing it to our community as well. And sharing those laments with others and asking them to join us in lamenting those things and doing that with the Lord and not behind his back or not trying to just curl into ourselves and hide from him in that.
0: Yeah, no, one of your, uh, you know, I love the line. Once, Pastor once described lament as bringing our complaints to God and talking to Him rather than grumbling behind His back. I think that's what you're talking about. And then, Mm -hmm. um, I loved your the definition that I think you got from one of your professors. It's wrestling with God until we come to rest in Him. Exactly. could Could you expand on that that definition a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So I mean, we we draw the idea of lament. From Scripture, um, that this is not something that you know theologians have made up or that we're just kind of tacking on. Scripture gives us all sorts of examples of lament, and especially in the Psalms. And the the framework that we have, if we look at the Psalms for laments, is that the psalmists pour their hearts out to God. They bring their complaints how long O lord will you forget me forever my tears have been my food day and night bringing all that before the lord but in almost every psalm of lament it concludes with some word of hope or trust or faith or rest um i was just i was reading psalm 42 it's in our bible reading plan um, and it, it ends with, why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God for, I shall again, praise him, my salvation and my God. So it's been all of this turmoil being laid out, but then the psalmist says, hope, keep hoping, <laughs> keep hoping in God. He is my salvation and reminds himself of what is true. And that's where he finds his rest.
0: Yeah. That's great. And obviously this is a class on biblical sexuality. Um, yeah. And I think in general, just talking about singleness is important in a class like that. But I think also specifically, um, just talking about sexual faithfulness um, in our singleness uh, is important as well. And that's something you address in your book. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what are some of the most helpful ways to, to maintain sexual faithfulness in singleness?
1: Yeah, this could be a, a whole nother class. Um, but I think this is something that that I've had to think a lot about over the years. I just turned 40. Um, I have never been married. Um, I grew up in, in purity culture and, and, you know, believe that true love waits and that when true love waited, there would be a reward. And I have not yet found that reward. Um, but thinking about, so wrestling with what does it look like for me as a single woman who is, a sexual being like I, that is, is part of how God has made me. um, And yet I am not married. And so I don't have the freedom to have those sexual desires fulfilled in the way that a married person might. Mm -hmm. Um, So thinking about that for me, some, a few things that I've thought about in that um, are really looking at what is behind um, my desires um, and so something that, that I've spoken about before um, in, in various places is struggling with masturbation and something that my counselor really helped me with when I finally started talking about it um, was really looking at, you know, when there is that desire and temptation, what's behind it? Is it, um, you know, is it just purely a sexual desire or is it a desire for, is it that I'm lonely? Is it that I'm bored? Is it that, um, you know, whatever there there are different things that might be going on. So I think whatever it is, when we are faced with sexual desire, thinking, is there something more behind this, where the need could actually be met, where I could actually go spend time with people, or I could do something active with my body, um, or I could do something that serves someone else in some way um, that might help to meet the the desires that I'm having, maybe not fully, but partially. Um, Another thing that's been important for me is actually um, paying attention to my body and finding ways to use my body in ways that blesses others. Um, And so for me, this always sounds silly and I, I wish it weren't the case, but for me, sometimes that's baking. Um, like I need to bake for people because that is a way that, that my body can be a blessing to other people. Um, or sometimes that's holding a baby or, um, you know, just doing good hard work, um, with my body for the sake of others. That can be something that, um, helps me to, um, to be faithful sexually. Um, and I think this is another place where lament is important too. to say, at the end of the day, Lord, I have these desires and they're not being fulfilled. And that is hard. And I am sad about that or mad about that or however I, am, I might feel on that given day. And knowing that he cares about even that.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's super helpful. I appreciate you sharing all that. And, um, yeah, like you said, there's so much more we could say, but, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I know those are very practical, um, practical approaches to a very real, um, and deep struggle, um, yeah, I think the last thing I'd want to ask is you've already touched on self pity, but I, I I think I'd be interested in a little bit more. You you do have a chapter on uh, one of the devotionals on self pity. So what are some ways self pity can be a struggle in singleness, and and what would you say to you know someone experiencing self pity in their singleness?
1: Yeah, um, I would say every single person that I know has experienced self pity in some way, shape, or form. Um, some of us maybe more often than others. I love nothing more than to throw a good self pity party. Um, and when I was actually writing this, this particular chapter in the devotional, I had to reach out to my pastor to Dan, because I, I said, I, I am, I need someone to tell me <laughs> what is true here. Cause I'm in it. Like I am in the self pity right now. Yeah. And it's hard for me to write about it because I'm in it. Yeah. And I think self-pity when we are dwelling on our own sorrows when we are dwelling on um, our own struggles it isolates us and it takes something that that may be it may start with actually being isolated or actually feeling left out or actually feeling lonely it may start there but it so quickly spirals and serves only to further isolate us from community and from the Lord. And I think that's why self-pity is so dangerous. Um, And why, and since it is often just all inside of us, it's not something that others can often speak into because they may not know what's going on. And this is a place where we really have to preach the gospel to ourselves and, um, you know, in, I, I quote lamentations, um, with that devotional, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope that mm-hmm. the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. We actually have to call it to mind. Like we have to do that work and the spirit is with us. God is helping us in that, but there is an active part that we play in that to remind ourselves of what is true to help to stop and interrupt those lies that we are believing as we're in that self-pity spiral and remember what is true.
0: Yeah. Now I love that, that quote from Lamentations. I, 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 I want to study that book uh, mm-hmm. a lot more. I have not given it much time and uh, you, I think several times you quote it and it definitely yeah. uh, sparked my interest again to, to dig into that that book. And that was definitely a great passage from there. So, well, we could say so much more, but I'm going to stop it there, but thank you so much again, Jenny Lynn. It's been such a joy to um, have you just uh, speak to our church and uh, just so thankful for what God's doing through you and uh, for that. Now you have this book and just ways that's blessing people. So thanks again for speaking to us. Thank
1: you. I hope you'll have a great class. I'm glad you're doing this.
0: Cool. all right, we'll see you. All right, I wish we had time to discuss that some, but um, we have reached our time, so let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, your grace in your word, uh, the truth in your word, the beauty in your word, um, and that uh, the Bible speaks to um, things in our life like singleness that many of us here um, and many more in our church um, that is, that is their reality, and uh, Lord, we thank you for the fact that, that you make anything good and beautiful, and you, you make singleness good and beautiful. I pray that they would experience that, um, and I pray that we as a church could, could grow in our love uh, uh, towards that, and um, I just pray that you'd continue to bless this, this class and this discussion um, on biblical sexuality. Um, help us to look more like your son in this area, in Jesus' name, amen.